Hello, and welcome to the Crossroads Podcast, the show where Mark Meckler and Rita Peters discuss hot-button issues from a biblical perspective, helping to equip other Christians to bring light to a darkened culture. Rita is the Senior Vice President of Legislative Affairs, and Mark serves as the CEO and co-founder for Convention of States Action. Find out more by visiting conventionofstates.com slash pod. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. I'm your host, Rita Peters, along with my trusty co-host, Mark Meckler, and we are here today to wrap up this 10-part series we've been doing on the book, Servant Leadership by David Kuhnert. And Mark, I'm so glad you could be with us today for the wrap up, even though you did have to miss a lot of the chapters of the book because you have been traveling and crazy busy as usual. But I'm glad you're here for the wrap up. I've been out trying to be a servant leader, right? We take these (laughs) principles and we bring them into our real life. And and my day job is going out and traveling around the country and working with grassroots and trying to do my best to demonstrate servant leadership all across the country. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mark, I think most of our listeners know if they've been listening to the program for any length of time that you are the co-founder and president of Convention of States Action, which is the organization I work for. And, you know, I find it fascinating how how deeply you have just delved into this whole topic of servant leadership the book that we've just gone through on this Crossroads program chapter by chapter is something that you have actually incorporated into our entire organization. And as staff members of the organization, we all read the book. We go through a process of mentoring in the book with some of the people who have been with us on Crossroads to talk about the different chapters. So I'd like for you to talk about that a little bit. Why is servant leadership so important to you that you've actually made it a part of the whole organization? Yeah, you know, like you, I've got a library here in this room with me. I love books and a subject matter that I've been studying my entire life is leadership. And I can't even count the number of books I've read on leadership. There's a lot of crossover between those books, Rita. When when you read them, if you've spent your lifetime reading them like I have, After a while, it feels like, okay, I've read this before. I know this stuff. When I was first introduced to real servant leadership, biblical servant leadership, about 10 years ago, it was something different. It was something that I'd never seen before. Uh, And at the time, I was just coming to faith, so it had a particular impact on me. Having seen and, and I'm reading about the teachings of the ultimate servant leader, Jesus Christ, And seeing that integrated with business concepts was something entirely new for me. So I think one of the things I love about the book Servant Leadership so much is it's very practical in the sense it's speaking to us, I would argue, in secular terms initially, like normal business terms. We talk about the Freedom V and the There, Here, Path and all these very practical things. But then it ties it back to the ultimate instruction manual for being a human being, which is the Bible. And so all these lessons or many of the lessons that I had learned that I'm re-seeing in this book were resonating in a completely different way because they were being taught to me essentially through the eyes and through the heart of Jesus Christ. And so it had a profound impact on me and in a way that no other leadership book has ever done, it stuck with me. And I wanted to be able to bring that to as many people as I could, but more importantly, I wanted to create a culture 
in the organization where servant leadership was front and center. And I think it's been very successful. I, I know I hear from our employees all the time that this is one of the things that makes them love Convention of State so much and love working for the organization so much. Mm, absolutely. It, it's it's really true. And, you know, a lot of what you just talked about is why I wanted to bring this material to our program. You know, the title of our program is Crossroads, Where Faith and Culture Meet. And most of what we do on the program is trying to provide information and tools to equip the people who listen to this to go out into the culture and influence others with the truth, you know, being able to speak truth into a darkened culture and particularly on the hot button issues of the day on public policy issues that people are talking about. And I think all of these principles that we learn in servant leadership are so applicable in that context, because as you said, the book uses Jesus Christ and his example. He is the ultimate servant leader. And he is our example. And so, of course, when we follow his example, whether we're at work, at home in our family or, you know, out in the culture speaking truth to power, we're never going to go wrong when we follow the example that Christ set for us. Yeah. And I I think something really important you said there, which is it's wherever we are in our lives. I think a lot of people most of the people I meet would say, oh, I'm not really a leader. And the reality is everybody's a leader. And whether you're leading in your family, you're leading in your church, you're leading in your small group, uh, whether it's just an interaction with a friend, you have opportunities to lead. Servant leadership applies to you whether you see yourself as a leader or not. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so what I'd like to do with the rest of our time, Mark, is just talk about some of the most important or what you think are the most important concepts that we learn from this book. There's so many different concepts and just frameworks for thinking about things and thinking about the best way to do things, the best way to influence or lead other people. And so I have some that I'll talk about too, um, but I wonder if you could just share, you know, a couple of the concepts that have been most transformational or most helpful to you as a leader, I should add, of many, many people, because you are the leader, not only of our organization, you know, the staff who who do convention of states as our full-time jobs, but you're also a leader of hundreds of thousands of grassroots activists across the country. So you are a real leader in every sense of the word. What are some of the concepts from this book that have helped you the most? Yeah, I want to start with the general and move to the specific. And generally is just the idea of service and, and what it means to be a servant leader and and leading with your heart in that way. In other words, with every person that I meet with out in the field, what I'm always trying to do or that I'm on the phone with is think, okay, what can I do to serve this person? Hmm. And that's not always easy, to be honest with you. I mean, sometimes people are very disagreeable and sometimes you're having conflict with people. We do that. I do that for a living a lot. I'm in legislatures. I'm talking to legislators who I don't necessarily like, but I'm called to love them. And that means I'm called to serve them. And so I feel like I'm challenged in this every day. And by thinking about the concepts in servant leadership, it forces me to approach situations in that way. And I think also, you know, for me as a as somebody who's in the public eye, 
in a way, this is easier, Rita. And it sounds funny. I mean, you mentioned hundreds of thousands of people and all that stuff is true. But I actually realized that uh, aside from the fact that I know that the Lord's always watching, I'm being watched a lot, right? So if I'm in a legislature, people are watching how I behave. If if I'm in a meeting, people are watching how I behave. If I'm on a video, people are watching how I behave. And so I want to behave the best I possibly can in to the best I possibly can to follow the example of Jesus Christ. That means to serve. And so it all starts with the idea of servant leadership. Notice it's not called leadership service or some other name. It's servant first. And so to me, that's a big one. Uh, I would say one of the most important things I've learned from the book over time is how to handle what we call in the book moments of truth and how to deal with difficult situations and difficult people and and do it in a way that is from the heart, but that also removes some of the heated emotion from a situation. I think that tool has been really helpful to me because I tend to be a relatively volatile person and people who know me now, they laugh when I say that they don't see it in me. Uh, you've seen actually probably more of it than most people because we work intimately and you see my frustrations and sometimes I'm angry, but how to do that and do it in a very productive way is difficult. Now, I don't know if you can hear Winston dragging a bone around in the background here. Winston is one of his dogs. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'll just share and I'm going to let you go again and maybe talk about more concepts that have really been influential with you. But one of the biggest ones for me that I actually think about so many times a day, and it's so helpful, the three things you can control in life, whom you trust, your actions, your own actions, and your own attitude about what's going on. That has been so helpful to me in so many different contexts. I find if I'm stressed, if I'm worried, if I'm angry, if I'm frustrated, if I can make myself stop and think, what are the three things that I can control? And just focus on that. What is my part in this? It has been really, really helpful to me. Do you use that? Do you do you find yourself directing yourself to thinking about those things? Every single day, all day long. In fact, I can't control this right now. <laughs> the dog. <laughs> the dog. And so, yeah, I mean, we all naturally get frustrated or angry. And, and then the question is, okay, I look at it and like, can I control this? And I think a lot of times it revolves around other people. And the answer is we can't control other people. We can control ourselves. So you talked about the three things we can control. Well, I can control myself. I can control what I do. Uh, I can control my attitude about things. I can control who I trust. And so I try to run almost everything through that filter. And I find when I'm teaching other people servant leadership, that's probably the core thing I teach people first even before I introduced the concept of servant leadership generally, it's like, hey, look, just relax. There are three things you can control. And where are you at in this situation? Which part of this can you control? And and the one that I think is most frequent, Rita, is our attitude, right? So, because mostly we can't, for sure, we can't control other people. We can't control situations, can't control the weather, can't control whether people are doing mean things to us. We can always control what our attitude is about that stuff. And it sounds easy and trite when we say it, it's very hard and it's a lifetime practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to, to put some flesh on those bones, let's think about, you know, the recent election. 
Like so many people frustrated, upset, anxious about the results of the election. We take it back to, well, whom do we trust? Do we trust this government institution to like manage the world for us and manage life and and make things okay? No, no you're crazy if you do. <laughs> no, God is in control and I trust him with the results. Um, what, what else can I control? I control my actions. Like what am I going to do to make a difference as I go forward after whatever happens, happens? Yep. What can I get involved in? How can I have a bigger impact and do more? Um, and then my attitude, you might, you know, am I going to go around grumpy and grumbling and complaining and bad mouthing, you know, whatever the other party is, my, my political opponents, or am I going to try to find common ground? Am I going to have the attitude of, you know, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to speak truth. I'm going to get involved and I'm going to leave the results to God. So, you know, that's the kind of thing for me where thinking through that framework is really helpful in what I do every day. Yeah. And I want to throw some subtext on the attitude thing, because I, I think that is the most difficult for most people. And the way I learned to deal with that best is to ask myself, how is this serving me? Like, is hmm. some benefit coming out of my attitude right now? So when I'm angry or negative or feeling bad, I always got to ask myself, is it, is it working for me? <laughs> what are you getting out of that, Mark? Is it making you feel better? Are you getting work done because of it? Are you doing productive stuff because of it? The answer is almost always no, if I've got a bad attitude. Are you benefiting the people around you? Because that's what servant leadership's about. And if I have a bad attitude, when I'm frustrated, when I'm angry, uh, there are purposes and places for righteous anger. But generally speaking, those are negative things. They're not doing anything for me. They're not doing anything for the people around me. And I always kind of feel silly when I ask myself that question because I already know the answer. Nope, it's not doing me any good. And I think that's a really important one. If you can ask yourself when you get frustrated, when you get down, when you get angry, hey, is this serving me? I think it'll break you out of that pattern quite often. Yeah, absolutely. And another concept that's, you know, it's all related, but particularly related to this, I think about sometimes the, if we want to be influencers, thinking about the different types of power, you know, he, there's a section in the book where he goes through this. There are some types of power you have just by virtue of your position or, you know, you there's some a police officer has the, the power that comes with just being able to use force. But he talks about how the the best one, the, the actually most influential one is referent power. And it's a power that we have by virtue of our own personal growth and development in all the different spheres of life. You know, if we have put in the time and effort to really develop our, you know, our spiritual selves and our physical selves, you know, our physical health, our, you know, our career, there's a certain power that comes along with developing, growing and maturing in those areas. And it's the type of power where, you know, people who see you and observe you just want to follow you because they see your success. They see something that they want to emulate. Is that something that you find useful to think about? And, you know, how do you apply those concepts or teach them to others um, in the organization, Mark? Well, obviously, the ultimate person ever to walk the earth with referent power was Jesus Christ. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes, and we struggle with this, I know I've struggled with this in my own faith, is Jesus was both man and God, holy, obviously, and the Holy Spirit. But we tend to think of him, at least I do, as God. That's that's. It's hard when you're thinking about the concept of God to think of God as man. But he was walking the earth fully as man, and his power with people that he met was referent power because they saw how he behaved towards them. They knew of his reputation. They knew of his kindness, of his love, of his spirit, of his miracles, of course, as well. But all of that is referent power. So people looked at him and they wanted to follow him, not because they were commanded, not because he had some kind of positional power or if you don't follow me, I will do X to you. But it's because people wanted to follow him. And so, yeah, to the extent that we can emulate that to the best of our ability, which is obviously tiny compared to the overall scheme of Jesus Christ, but we want to emulate that as best we can. And I find that's the best kind of power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's one that um, we as Christians can particularly um, use some some growth in that area. You know, I think about how, and I'm I'm talking to myself here as much as anyone else, but I think about how I can behave, you know, to um, someone in, who cuts me off in traffic, or to, you know, when I go to a restaurant and it's 20 minutes before the server comes over to take my order, and I think about my attitude in that moment, you know, am I exemplifying the type of person um, that, you know, that people want to emulate and, and want to follow that, you know, are people seeing grace and kindness in me or are they seeing like, wow, who's that lady? I don't want to be like her. It's something that um, we would do well to think about because it's easy for us to talk about the values that we hold and the values that we want to see in our elected officials. But if we're not exemplifying those values, that's really going to fall flat on the people that we're seeking to influence. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the traffic thing, because that's a place where I actually work on this. And, you know, one of my favorite places to work on this is when somebody snakes my parking spot. (laughs) And it just like, it just irks me. I've been waiting for that spot. I'm sitting there. I probably have somewhere I need to be or want to be. And then somebody snags that spot. And what I try to think to myself now, and it it takes effort. I'm not saying I can just do this. I try to think they must have needed that spot more than me. They must have been in a bigger hurry than me. Or, you know, they didn't, they didn't, maybe they didn't see me and didn't realize that I was waiting for that spot. Those are not natural Mm -hmm. thoughts for me. My thoughts are, you know, I can't believe that person did this. But then I'm trying to practice this idea that I want to walk like Jesus Christ. I want to have that referent power. And honestly, what we do when we're alone in our heads and our hearts, that's at least as important as what we do when we're forward facing with people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I want to bring up another concept introduced in the book, because this is one that I really had never heard of anywhere else before I read the book. And that is the project mood curve, which he says in the book, it applies to everything in life. It's not just work projects. It applies in our relationships. It applies, you know, just to almost everything we do or experience. But it's this idea that any project goes through this process. And 
I don't know if I'll get all the phases right. You might have to help me. But it starts with the storming phase where, you know, we've got this great idea. We're full of energy. We're all excited about this new thing. And so it's the storming phase. Then we get to the norming phase where we're trying to like work out systems. How's this going to go? How are we going to move forward? And I think it's in that norming phase where we hit what he calls the pit of despair, where, you know, we get to this point where, wow, this is so much harder than we thought it was going to be. And we're realizing there are all these problems and obstacles that we didn't see before. And we don't know how we're going to get through them. We start to kind of run out of energy. Um, and I find this to be so true of me. And it really does apply in so many different contexts. Um, how do you think that framework of the project mood curve is helpful? And maybe you can talk about how we've experienced it in our organization at Convention of States, because I know we do. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Look, it applies to everything. So when you start a project, it's super exciting and you don't know exactly what you're going to do. And this is storming. There's all kinds of activity and chaos. And you're trying to organize things in your head. It's a new idea. So it's always very exciting. Uh, and then you get into it, you're starting to form it up and now, now you're seeing it move forward. Sometimes it gets even more exciting because actual things are happening. This happens when you work in a group or alone. And then you get to this point where now you're kind of in the grind of making the thing happen and things start to slow down and you run into obstacles and you can find yourself in what we call the pit of despair, which is, man, I don't even know why I started this thing. Maybe it's impossible. Maybe it's boring. Maybe it's too hard. Maybe it's too expensive, whatever it is. And, and people end up there. And, and the question is really, how long do you stay there? Because <laughs> you're going to go there every time you go through a project. Uh, and it could be a project of trying to improve a relationship, to get a different job, to get your education. Now, I'll give you one. It's really kind of funny for me, Rita. I have a lot of property here. I have 10 acres and I got a lot of grass I got to mow when it's time to mow the grass. And I actually like mowing the grass <laughs> and I get on my tractor and I put in my earbuds and I listen to podcasts and to mow the whole property is probably five hours for me. And probably about two and a half, three hours in, I think, oh, I just hate this. I'm hot. I'm covered with grass. I'm I'm done with I wish it were just done. Could I just stop? Like if I stop now and then I look at it, if I stop, it looks horrible and and so I do the whole project mood curve every time I mow the grass and I force my way through the pit of despair. And the real question is, how long do you stay there? And so I know this with the grass. I know I'm going to do this. I usually come in, uh, grab an iced tea, wash my face and kind of like, all right, I'm going to go finish. And I flip my attitude and I crawl out of the pit of despair and I go finish. But that's true for any project. And in as an organization, it's been true many times for convention of states. I would argue, Rita, that a little bit we're in a pit of despair right now I mean, because we're going through a lot of growth. Uh, we now have over 80 employees. There's a lot of complexity coming in, things I haven't seen before. It's become very difficult to operate an organization of this size. And when we had 20 employees, it was a lot easier. You knew everybody, things moving projects along seemed easier. There was less internal conflict less external conflict. Uh, and so, again, we go through this repeatedly, many cycles, maximum cycles, as you go through the lifespan of an organization or a relationship. Knowing it is the key, that I know that on any project, I'm gonna go through these phases. That's what helps me to get through it. It's just the knowledge of how it looks as I go through it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Knowing about the project mood curve and the inevitability of reaching that pit of despair is half the battle, right? Like, I know this is what's happening. Yeah, this is what's happening. This was bound to happen. And then it's what we choose to do, right, when we're in that pit of despair and making the choice to keep doing the things that you knew you were going to need to do to, you know, to just muddle through it until you get to the other side. That's such an important thing to be able to do as a servant leader and to encourage the people around you to do it. You know, I want to mention that I really believe this project mood curve applies to our faith. I mean, I know I reach those troughs, those pits of despair as, um, you know, it it talks about that in Pilgrim's Progress, the pit of despair, you know, something that Christian has to go through. And it reminds me of something that C.S. Lewis wrote. Um, It's in the screw tape letters, but he talks about how as a Christian, we get to this point and it's very pleasing to God when he sees his people be able to look around and see that the supports that they've been relying on have been removed. We've been left to stand on our own two feet. And when we can look around, see those supports have been taken away, ask why we have been forsaken in our perception and still obey that that gives God great joy when we make that decision to still obey when we're not having the emotional experience at the moment, when we're not, you know, on the mountaintop where we feel really close to God and everything is going well, you know, and we're happy. But when we get to that trough and still choose to obey in the ordinary ways that God calls us to obey, it's very pleasing to our father. And, Yeah, being able to lead other people through that pit of despair and encourage them to keep going is the thing. And Mark, you do this so well. You do it all the time. I've certainly reached my pits of despair (laughs) in my my job as in other areas of life. Yeah, and look, we all do. This is, again, it's natural. It's knowing that it's going to happen to you. And again, all this stuff is drawn from the Bible, right? How many times do we see people in the Bible reach the pit of despair. And we see them come out the other side, reliance on Jesus Christ, reliance on God is what gets them through. And this is really interesting because this book, one of the things I love about it is none of these concepts are standalone, they all cross over. So when you're in the pit of despair, the question is, well, who do you trust, right? Do you trust God, really? If you trust God, you're going to come out of the pit of despair. You know you're going to come out, you just don't know when. It's then your attitude improves. Like, well, it's okay. I'm in the pit of despair, but I'm I'm in control of my attitude. I'm going to rely on God. I'm going to trust God. I know I'm going to come out. So all of these things intersect at almost every phase of your life. That's one of the things I love about this book is it is actually holistic. Yeah. Okay. Well, Mark, we are almost out of time. I just want to give you a chance for any parting shots, last things you want to say about servant leadership for our Crossroads audience. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to apologize for Winston today because he decided he really wanted to participate. And I know he doesn't look like it, Rita. And and I know you're a big dog person too. Winston's only eight months old. And though he's 110 pounds and he's pretty much involved in whatever he wants to be involved in. So I apologize for any distraction that was. Um, I have a good attitude about it. I'm trusting God about it. And so I'll make it through the pit of Winston despair. (laughs) Uh, 
really what I want to say is use this actually practice it in your life. Like anything that you do, if you want to be good at it, uh, if you think it's important to your life, and I would argue it's very important to your life, then use it and think about it every day. Rita, I don't know how many times I've read this book. I literally can't count now. I refer back to it all the time. We talk about it all the time. It's like anything in your life, if you really believe it and you want to be good at it, you have to practice it. This is true with your faith overall. I think this is one of the things we miss as Christians. Dallas Willard wrote a great book called The Great Omission. It's about not practicing Christianity. It's just, I'm a Christian, so I'm all done. And I think that servant leadership is part of, for me, of my practice of my faith. And so if you integrate this into your faith life, I think you'll see incredible results. Mark, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads podcast. To learn more about Convention of States, go to conventionofstates.com.